Good morning. How's it going? You guys doing all right? Labor Day weekend. Sun is shining. Can't wait to get out of here. No. Um, so my name is Andrew. I'm, uh, I'm the pastoral intern here at Community, which basically means I'm, I'm here to learn and fill needs as I can when I can. Um, one of those needs has been the video announcements, so you might recognize me from the video announcements. Um, and on days like this, when I have two rolls, I sort of feel like a chocolate-covered peanut. And, <laughs> and I don't know what that means. Is Greg, is Greg still in here? No, he left. Okay, good, good. Um, so I have the, the privilege, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll ask him for forgiveness for that later. Uh, I have the privilege of closing up our sermon of concluding our, our series today on the book of Romans. And for those of you who are joining via live stream, whether you aren't able to make it because you're traveling or because you're sick or you're just checking us out online for the first time, my prayer is that this message meets you where you are and that our paths would cross. Um, this, this, this sermon today is on uh, the 11th and 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Two whole chapters. And I'm not going to read, like, the. Uh, I got to start this series. I'm not going to read every word of both chapters, but we're going to spend a lot of time in, in, Romans, in Romans 12. But I believe that this sermon, this, this chapter of, of Romans has the potential of being a game changer for some of us. Because I, I, I believe that Paul, oh, there's Greg. Hi, Greg. I ask for your forgiveness if you heard that. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, I don't ask for it. No, I think that Romans 12 gives us the permission to answer that call that we just sang about, that call into the deep when God calls us into waters that are uncomfortable. I believe that Romans 12 gives us the permission to say yes to that. So I believe that for some of us, uh, this means in, in three to five years we look back and this sermon isn't what changed part of your life or my life or our lives, but Romans 12, God spoke through his scriptures to change our lives. And I think for that to happen, we have to be okay with, with something this morning, and that is we have to be okay with admitting from time to time when we're wrong. We have to be okay from time to time admitting when we're wrong. And what that means is that this life, and what I believe every verse of the 12th chapter, the book of Romans points to, is, is that this life, my life, is not about me and my people. It's about God and his people. And if you remember nothing from today apart from that, we'll be good. This life is not about me and my people. It's about God and his people. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. I want to start off with a question and, and a little story. And I want hands up. Have you ever in your lives made a mistake and had to admit that you're wrong. And I, I don't see Jesus sitting in the pew somewhere, so I, I assume that all of our hands are up, right? We've all made mistakes. We've all had to admit at some point that we're wrong. Uh, uh, for me, a few weeks ago, um, I, was, I was wrong once. I've been wrong once. Um, but specifically, a few weeks ago, uh, my dog, my wife and I's dog, her name is Sadie. She's a border collie. She's nine months old. She was sprayed by a skunk. Yeah, uh, and so the fact that she got sprayed wasn't where I went wrong, right? Uh, 
Ellen is in med school, my wife Ellen, she's in medical school, and she was working nights at the time. So she was at the hospital, she was working. It was about 9.30, I'm working on a paper, and Sadie has some extra energy. So I, I take her out, and we've got this laser pointer. We have two cats, too. It's like a zoo at our house. We have this laser pointer that Sadie just goes ballistic for. She, she runs after it left and right. She'll run for hours after this laser pointer. You bring that thing out, her attention is just completely focused on this little laser pointer. And so I'm at the park with her, and we're playing with the laser pointer, and she's running around. We're having a good time. I'm talking to, there's a border collie that lives down the street. I know all the dogs on our street. Uh, there's a border collie that lives down the street. His name is Tucker. It's Sadie's boyfriend. He's a little older than she is. Um, but so there, uh, Tucker's owner was at the park, and we were playing with the dogs, uh, and Sadie was running around, and we were talking about all the skunks that are in our neighborhood, uh, and that there's this one skunk that keeps showing up on our street, and sure enough, Sadie, as we're talking about this skunk, books it over to the side of the, of, of the park. There's this little group of trees, and there's a street light that's sitting right there, so Sadie books it over there, and it gets to him, and all of a sudden, it's like... Pfft. This huge cloud of stank just comes out of this skunk's rear end, and Sadie gets sprayed directly in the face, and she runs back to me, and, and she doesn't stop at me. She keeps running, runs right out of the park and down the road, and I'm like, ah, oh, man. So I'm running after her, and I get home, and she's just waiting on the porch for me. Um, she's like, her eyes are all red. She's trying to rub her face on the ground and everything, and uh, so I shot Ellen a text and said, hey, worst nightmare, Sadie has been sprayed by a skunk. We're okay, and I put the phone in my pocket, and I, you know, Googled, what, what do I do if my dog has been sprayed by a skunk? And the internet said, the trustworthy internet said, uh, get hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and a couple drops of Dawn dish soap, and that'll help remove the oils from, from your dog's fur. It'll leave your dog's fur a little dry, but it'll get the skunk oil out. So we don't have a hose in our, ho in our house, neither does our neighbors. So I, I get her inside, I get her up into the tub, and I get the water going, and she's rolling in it, trying to get the, the spray out of her eyes. And uh, Ellen's calling me, but Sadie is spraying skunk water all over my face and all over the bathroom. And so Ellen texts me and leaves a message. And finally, I answer the phone, and she says, hey, I got your message. Whatever you do, don't bring her in the house and don't get her wet. <laughs> Nailed it. The first thing that I did was I got her in the house and I got her wet. That was the wrong way to go about fixing this issue. What I should have done was made that mixture. The mixture helped, it worked, but I should have made it and got her outside and put the mixture on and then gotten a bucket and rinsed her off. So I have to admit that I was wrong and she was right. Our house smelled like a skunk for like a week and a half. It's doing pretty well now. Sadie's good. But all that is to say that we make mistakes from time to time, and we sometimes need to admit that we're wrong, and that's okay. Awesome transition here. Paul, in his life, has made mistakes. Maybe not have anything to do with skunks or dogs, but Paul, every day for a very long time, made the same mistake over and over and over again. And when he encountered Christ, he had to admit I was wrong. I was wrong. Paul, uh, for the Christian church, he was a church planter, which meant that he went from city to city, town to town, and he, he, he planted churches, and uh, he, he encouraged people and lifted people up, and, and he trained uh, pastors, and he trained elders and, and deacons, and he set all these things in place, and he would leave, then he would write a letter of encouragement, or maybe he needed to fix some things going on in that church, so he would write a letter uh, to that church to, to try to encourage and rebuke or teach or lift up or discipline, whatever it was. Paul was a church planter, and he would do this from time to time. Now, in the church at Rome, he didn't plant this church, but he had heard of this church, and so he wanted to encourage this church in the city of Rome. 
before Paul encountered Christ, he was a persecutor of the Christian church. Which meant that he made it his, his duty. And the kids in the room are like, he said duty. <laughs> he made it his goal in life to persecute the Christian church. So he separated wives from husbands, parents from children, families from communities. He made it his goal to just obliterate this Christian movement, this movement of Christ followers. So why, why did he do that? Paul, his entire life, was pursuing the will of God. Even when he was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing what God would have him do. But the problem is that in his mind, maybe even subconsciously, it seems like he went about doing it by saying, this life is about my life and my people. You see, Paul was, he was a Jewish man, which means he belonged to the nation of Israel. His, his scripture was our Old Testament. His God was Yahweh, and he believed that if he could purge Israel, God's people, from idolatry, from false worship, from, from sin, that he could bring about the day of judgment. He thought if he could get rid of all this stuff and make Israel a law-abiding nation again, God would come back. And he could start everlasting life. And so, by pursuing the will of God, he started persecuting the Christian church and pushing out and oppressing people until he encountered Christ. And he realized the very people that he was oppressing were the very people that God would give it to him as a mission to reach out to and to bring into the body of Christ. And so that's, that's, that's where we're at with Paul. Paul is writing to this church in Rome, which is full of different people, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, just a fancy way to say not Jewish. So these Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles come from different religions, maybe no religions, maybe multiple religions, worshiping many gods or no gods or two gods or four gods into one church. And Paul is writing to the church in Rome to encourage them and try to teach them what it means to live together because Jews and Gentiles are all guilty of the same sins and have experienced the same grace. And now Paul is encouraging them and us to live in gratitude with that tension. This sermon today, we're going to touch on chapter 11 for just a minute and move to chapter 12. If you remember uh, when we started this, this series, I talked about Rome as sort of like an international airport when you have people from all different uh, nations, all different tongues, all different places, cultures, all in sort of one place where you might have somebody from northern Africa, you might have somebody from Asia Minor, you might have somebody from uh, Greece, all these different places in one place. And that's what Paul is writing into. And in chapter 11, Paul is basically saying to the Jews, I, I know this doesn't make a lot of sense right now, but uh, God has not abandoned you. He hasn't ditched the covenant that he made with his people. In fact, the covenant is much larger than you anticipated. And to the Gentiles, the people who were grafted in, who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, he's saying to the Gentiles, look, you, you are saved by grace like the Jews were. Don't be proud about that, and don't forget, God is, God is just incredible. He wants the Gentiles to remember to fear God, even though God is gracious and merciful. So we get to chapter 11, or sorry, chapter 12, and I believe that every word of this chapter points to this idea that 
This life is not about me and my people, but it's about God and his people. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to start reading in chapter 12, first understanding what it meant to them 2,000 years ago, and then backwards through it to try to understand what it means to us today, for us today. I'm reading out of the, the ESV. The ESV will be on the screens. It might be a little bit different in the Bibles and the pews, uh, but let's follow along. Romans chapter 12. It starts here, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That first word, or the, sorry, the fifth word, I appeal to you, therefore, every time you see therefore in Scripture, pay attention to what it says before and after that. So like, uh, I'm hungry, therefore I will eat. Paul is making an argument, and everything before uh, the word therefore is pressing into this argument saying, I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, what's before this? Literally, chapters 1 through 11, Paul is building up to this, this transition in verse 12 to the end, or sorry, in chapter 12, to the end of this letter to the church in Rome. Now, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The Jewish culture, the Jewish religion, had a, God set up a sacrificial system because we were disconnected from God and sin has a price. And so God set up this sacrificial system so that we could have some sort of working relationship with him. But it, that wasn't meant to last forever. And what Paul is saying here is uh, basically to the Jews, the sacrificial system that you knew is no longer. Christ died once and for all. His sacrifice is sufficient for all. So we don't need to do these sacrifices anymore. To the Gentiles, some of whom practiced uh, animal sacrifice, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, Paul is saying that sacrifices, you know it, is not that way. But he's encouraging both the Jews who grew up in the church and the Gentiles who were sort of grafted into this grace and mercy, saying, look, all of you, all of us have quite a bit of changing to do. We have a lot of growing to do. They all have some, some changing to do. And, and, and Jews and Gentiles, you are now in this community of believers. You'll have relationships that you haven't had before. And this is going to get sort of intense, but I have some ways that I want you to treat each other. And we keep reading verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, he's telling his church, he's telling this church 2,000 years ago, look, uh, don't think so highly of yourselves anymore. Think of yourselves in relation to the community that God has placed you and you now belong to Christ. And so the gifts that you have, the uniqueness that you have individually, I want you to use for the church. So that might, be, that might mean that some of the people who are now in the Christian church 2,000 years ago 
were part of the people who were persecuting the Christian church before they were converted. Or maybe they were tax collectors, uh, and, and because of that, they oppressed many people. Or maybe they, they now know some really awesome people to know and can use these resources and networking capabilities to edify the church and lift up the church. What Paul is saying to this church 2,000 years ago is, look, you guys all come from different areas of life. Use your gifts for the church and lift up the church. And speaking of this church, you guys are going to need each other. And we keep reading in, in verse 9. Let love be genuine. In this community, this church, this body you belong to, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In this church 2,000 years ago, you're going to have people that you don't agree with, that have different traditions and different cultures than you, that maybe even speak a different language, that don't uh, understand the laws that you know, that don't understand fully the God that you've come to know and love for your entire lives. But I want you to treat yourselves, treat each other, with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. This life is not about me and my people. It's about God and his people. And he's, he's telling uh, this church, evil is going to try to seep in. Don't let it. And this is where community comes in. Don't let it. The way that I want you to treat each other, carry each other's burdens, be patient with one another. There will be persecution that's coming Paul is saying this community life that, you've, that you're leading, as you meet each other's needs, the needs of the church, I want this spirit to pour out of the community that you're in, the church that you're in, into the world around. And so we keep reading in verse 14, Paul talks about what to do when we receive persecution, what to do when people aren't for us but are against us. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. They give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is saying, the culture that you're in, Rome, hates everything that you stand for. And this community love that you have, the love of Christ, I want that to pour out into the people that persecute you. And by so doing, you heap burning coals on their heads. Uh, this picture that Paul paints in, in chapter 12 of Romans is an incredible picture of the lives that we will live in eternity. And that begins now. That starts now. The, chapter 12 paints this picture uh, of, of heaven, uh, not, not some cloud place where we spiritually float forever, but when we're walking in the new creation as resurrected people with God in a knowing, loving, walking, talking relationship with Christ. Then and now, that begins, that begins now. Heaven will be full of people who seek these things. With that being said, it is impossible to seek them perfectly. 
It is impossible to seek these things perfectly. The title of this sermon is The Marks of the True Christian. And that's in part because that's the subtitle of the paragraph in this chapter, but also because there's only one person who did it perfectly and who can do it perfectly, and that's Christ. So our goal isn't to perfect this way of life, but it's to seek it and pursue it. Because this life is not about me and my people, as Paul thought. It's about God and his people. So let's work our way backwards through this. My first question, you don't have to write all these questions down. But if one speaks to you, let it speak to you. Speak with your your spouse, your family, speak to one of the pastors about it. But I have some questions about these different passages. The first one, verses 14 through 29, when Paul talks about persecution, my question is this, how can we as a people today be for, not for, but be for people who are against us? And maybe more relevant is, is how can we be for people who are against what we stand for? I've experienced this, and I'm sure you have too, when somebody uh, looks at our faith and says, your God doesn't exist. Your scriptures are full of hate, and your Christ is meaningless. Now, when it was said, it wasn't that well put together. It was probably a little more angry. How do we respond when people question the very thing that we put our hope in? When people seek to diminish the authority of Scripture, how do we respond? Do we respond with hate and prove them right? Or do we respond with love and win some for Christ? Because this life is not about me and my people. It's, for, it's about God and his people. As we keep moving backwards, uh, verses 9 through 12, Paul talks about this community that he wants us to be a part of. So my question is this, how can we really live into this whole church thing. Because living in the community that God has for us is more than just coming to worship on Sunday morning, but we are nourished here so that we can be sent to effect change for God's kingdom on behalf of him by the power of his spirit. My question is, how can we really live in to this whole church thing? Because maybe, maybe we don't have time to, you know, to, to, to lead or join a weekly small group or Bible study, and that's okay. But as a, as a church, can you, can you pick a family or two and just start blessing them for a year? Like pick one family that, that, that attends church here and say, I'm going to bless this family for the next 365 days. Maybe that's not financially. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's spiritual advice and wisdom. Maybe you become a mother or father figure for them. Or maybe if they have kids, you say, hey, can I babysit your kids and give you a night to go and have a date? It doesn't have to be complicated. Maybe you have an open bed to maybe help a college student out or something like that. Maybe you can walk with a family sending notes of encouragement. If they have kids, buy them some birthday presents. Send them a, a card from time to time. Do you make a mean pie? Because I know that seminary students really love pie. <laughs> Peach pie. Or peach and apple mix. So I hear from one of my closest confidants, or gluten-free pies. Do you make a mean pie? Choose a family and just bless them. You don't have to write them a $100 check every week, but just bless them by being active in their lives. 
And as we keep going, uh, verses 3 through 8, Paul talks about the gifts that we have. Some of us are really good with numbers, not me, but some of us. So can you volunteer in a way that you can use that gift for the church? Maybe you can mentor some, some kids who are struggling with math. Or maybe some of us are, 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 are really good with, with kids. You can volunteer for M-Life. You can volunteer for VBS. Some of us are really good teachers. You can volunteer to teach Sunday school classes. Some of us uh, are really hospitable. You can open up your homes uh, for people to stay, invite people over for dinner. Again, some of you make a really mean pie. (laughs) The point is we all have gifts to bring. And what Paul wants us to do, what, what God wants us to do, is to bring those to the church because this life is not about me and my people. It's about God and his people. And finally, we get to verses one and two. And verse 2 talks about not conforming to this world. I mean, this is a toughie. Because culture is really, really persistent. So what does it look like not to be conformed to this world? I think part of that is being in the scriptures and letting scripture speak truth into your life. Part of it is to watch the media that you take in because that influences how you view people and how you treat people. Do not be conformed to this world. Verse 1. This is the one that we, we quote quite a bit as Christians. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What we do physically matters spiritually. It's not salvific. But as we give ourselves to God, If we decide to bless people, I I can almost guarantee that you'll start to see positive spiritual movement in your faith as you start to live for others. Now, we don't have a sacrificial system to sort of relate to like the Jews did, uh, but what happens to a sacrifice when when it's used? You can't use it for anything else. It's burned up. It's gone. In the same way, if we are living sacrifices for Christ, then we can't be used for anything besides the will of God. If we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, that changes every crack and crevice of our lives, that changes the way that we treat others, not because we have to, but because we get to. Paul doesn't say, uh, by the obligations or commands of God, present your bodies. He says, by the mercies of God, we get to do this. And as we do, we we start to see positive spiritual movement in our lives. And this means admitting from time to time that we were wrong. When when I was first saved in college and undergrad, my freshman year, I didn't immediately become like a perfect angel child and saint. You know, I had a past. I was dead in my sin, and Christ saved me. And what that meant is that the sins that I was doing, God was no longer holding against me in my salvation, but he did have some things that he wanted me to work on. So my language. God didn't hold my language against me anymore, but he wanted me to work on it because the way that I spoke to, about, and around people wasn't always uplifting and positive. And you can carry the implications of that. He wasn't holding those sins against me anymore, but he did want me to make some some movements there. 
In the same way, uh, in college, you're, you're tempted and pressured into just letting culture in. Uh, you have the opportunity to attend certain social gatherings. And even though God wasn't holding that sin against me anymore, he did want me to make some headway in that area of my life. And so I did. And it wasn't salvific. It didn't save me. I was saved already. But God wanted me to make a move there. Because this life isn't about me and my people. It's about God and his people. So for all of us, what does that look like to say, is there some part of my life that I haven't been seeking the will of God, but have been seeking my own will? These last two verses uh, is basically just saying, try to figure out what the will of God is and do that thing. <laughs> and that's sometimes really complicated and sometimes it isn't, but Paul calls us to, to a taste of our future resurrection today and live that in our relationships with others. What that means is that we begin to change lives by living self-sacrificially. Uh, Ellen did this last night when she got home. She immediately started to take care of Sadie and fold the clothes and, and clean up the house a bit while I was working on the sermon. And she does that stuff all the time, much more than I do. Or like last week, uh, the, the Dockeries were here and they were just blown away by the generosity that we showed them. And that's because of God. That's because of who he is and his faithfulness. And they were just blown away by the generosity of God's people here. So what does it look like for you? Uh, have you ever been on the receiving end of a simple gesture of kindness in a difficult time in your life? Whether it's a family member sick or you've lost a family member or you're going through a, a difficult separation or divorce and somebody from your church just shows up for you. That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. That's what it means because it, it changes every, every aspect of who you are and how you relate to other people. I am the recipient of so much of that grace and goodness. There's a group of people that helped me through seminary and if it weren't for that group of people, I would have a much more difficult time making it through seminary. And that's the goodness of God. That's what it looks like when we begin to offer our bodies as living sacrifices because this life is not about me and my people, but God and his people. Maybe, like Paul, some of us have been pursuing the wrong goal in life or maybe the right goal the wrong way. Maybe we've sought after a financial stability over a stable faith or success in our businesses or uh, to be awesome managers in our careers or to get the best grades in high school or college or to be liked or to produce this perfect image of ourselves on social media. Is there somewhere in your life that you need to admit, I've been doing things wrong? Maybe not. And if that's the case, let's work towards positive movement, towards blessing others. But my one question for you today, if you remember nothing else, are you living for you? Are you living for me and my people or for God and his people? Last thing, children in the room, kids, as you're growing up, you're going to be told that you should do whatever you want to do in life. And you should but I want you to ask, as the school year starts, every day I want you to ask, am I doing what God wants me to do? When you're met with violence in your school, when you meet a bully, when you meet somebody who doesn't believe the same things as you do, whether you're in first grade or third grade or fifth grade, my question is this, are you doing what God wants you to do? 
Because this life is not about me and my people, but about God and his people. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and gracious. Thank you for speaking to me and through me this morning. I pray that you would put it on my heart to seek your will more often and more fervently. I confess that I haven't always done that. We confess that we haven't always done that. But transform us so we don't leave here the same as we came. Thank you for who you are. We worship and praise you because you're worthy of worship and praise. It's in your son's name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. In the words of Paul, I urge you, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. In all gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, you guys.